Hey everybody, welcome to Canary Cry Radio, and you know me, I'm your best buddy Basil. And this is Gons, welcome to episode number 152. That's right, we are back folks, and you'll notice that this episode is being posted, oh my gosh, so, so soon, so recent since the last episode. This is another example of uh, an a conversation that we had back uh, in May at the beginning of all the coronavirus nonsense. And uh, if you hadn't heard, we have been working very hard. Yes, you may be wondering, there have not been too many Canary Cry Radio episodes to have come out this year, but if you're in the know, you know that Canary Cry News Talk is where it's at and where it's been and where it will be. <laughs> That's right. Once, uh, once the coronavirus took hold and all the quarantine nonsense began, that gave us an opportunity to really commit to really a large undertaking. And that is the new and improved Canary Cry News Talk. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, news, I can't take any more news. I don't want to be sad anymore. I can't stand the news. Well, here's the thing, folks. Canary Cry News Talk, if you've tuned in before, you're going to want to give it another try. We started Canary Cry News Talk as an exercise in uh, consistency, which we did pretty good with for a couple of years. We were doing one episode a week. We were only we were keeping it to a half hour episode. But when we when the quarantine situation hit, we found ourselves with a lot of time on our hands. So <laughs> ever since uh, early in 2020, we have been doing three episodes of Canary Cry News Talk a week, and it no longer is it limited to 29 minutes. Now, some of them go as long as three hours. That's right, anywhere between you know an hour and a half to three hours. Sometimes, some weeks we're putting out 10 hours of Canary Cry News Talk episodes. Now, here's the thing, the news. It's hard, it's scary, it's sad, it's frustrating, it's maddening, it's all these sorts of things. But what we found with doing these extended versions of Canary Cry News Talk is that it's given us the chance to really explore a broad range of current events and news and not just uh, you know read it and make a couple of comments and move on, but we've gotten the chance to dig deep into some real analysis, some comparisons, some contrasts, some connecting of dots that we were never able to have the time to connect before and really explore uh, how reality is being crafted in real time through the news and mass media. And not just, uh, not just mainstream, but also not so mainstream and figure out how to critically think. That's the most exciting part, is critically think about how uh, you know the world and reality is being crafted and how we're being controlled to think. But even better than that, it's not just another news show where we tell you about what new big scary thing there is to be afraid of. No, 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 no. This is a lighthearted, fun, uh, music-filled, jingle-filled exploration of, uh, of news and current events and analysis throughout the week. And here's the thing, folks. We're doing three episodes a week. That's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 
And even more exciting is we moved to a live broadcast format. That's right. We live stream these episodes three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, sometime between noon and 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So, hey, if you think you uh, got a free afternoon on some of those days during the week, you can tune in live. There's a, a vibrant community of Canarians who tune in live, they chat, they fact check us live. <laughs> and uh, really the community, the chat community has added a whole nother dimension to the show. But don't worry, you don't have to watch live. Every day we do a Canary Cry News Talk uh, episode. The episode is also posted on the RSS feed. You can listen to all the episodes on whatever podcatcher you use. And I think you're really going to love it. Yeah. You know, this is episode 152 of Canary Cry Radio. And it's crazy because we started Canary Cry Radio in 2012. Mm -hmm. It was March 2012 when we started. And it took what eight years close you know running into nine years to get to 152 episodes well with canary cry news talk we literally in the last year almost exactly a year from when uh, we're publishing this episode we've made uh, just about 100 episodes of canary cry news talk wow and yeah, yeah so uh this is cranking uh, something them out, we're baby. cranking them out way and especially since the the scamdemic hit everybody we've been really we we uh we we made the podcast printer go burr and we're just <laughs> really publishing a lot of episodes but they're all and it's not just you know a lot of fluff we're we're trying to dig in and we're trying to analyze the news and be be critical thinkers be good bereans about it and not just peddle the fear which is what people uh yeah. tend to do these days one way or another whether it's mainstream or alternative there's a lot of fear peddling, and we try not to do that because uh, there's plenty of people doing that already. <laughs> yeah, and don't get me wrong. There's a lot to be afraid about, but uh, on Canary Cry News Talk, we always find a way to have a light heart about it and see the joy, especially knowing uh, you know all the things we know about who wins in the end, Gons. Amen. If you haven't checked it out, or maybe you checked out Canary Cry News Talk a while back and it wasn't for you, I highly recommend you uh, check out the new and improved Canary Cry News Talk. Just search Canary Cry News Talk on your podcatcher. It's also available on the Face Like the Sun YouTube channel, Canary Cry Radio YouTube channel, uh, as well as twitch.tv slash Canary Cry Radio. And if you're lucky, maybe you can catch a live show Monday, Wednesday, and Friday sometime between noon and 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Check it out. You're not going to regret it. Yes, and if you are a consistent Canary Cry News Talk listener and you're tuning into Canary Cry Radio here, it might be because there's a little baby samurai gons running around. Well, That's he's right. not running around yet, but <laughs> born yes. by the time you're listening. Another little samurai baby is... 
uh, six days away ish. Gons six as of days? this recording. Yes, as of this recording. Yes. Well, yeah. If you're hearing this, that means the baby's here, folks. Oh my gosh. So we uh, we appreciate your prayers for Gons and his wife and his whole family, as well as me for being able to stay sane and hopefully uh, cover for Gons while he is taking a little bit of time off uh, to take care of his brand new baby. So thank you very much. Uh, We'll talk about more uh, at the outro of the episode. I think it's just about time to get into this episode, but we are still holding true to our value for value model, which means that you, yes, you, dear listener, can become a producer of Canary Cry Radio. If you want to learn more about that, uh, we'll talk about it more at the end of the episode, but also consider visiting canarycryradio.com slash support. Canarycryradio.com slash support. Okie dokie, Gons. Well, I think it's about time to get into this episode. What can the dear listeners expect in the coming conversation. This is a conversation we had with Brad Cam from Unstoppable Domains. Uh, we talked about how he is working towards freeing the internet, which is a, a timely topic as a whole bunch of colleagues of YouTube channels were shut down recently. PayPal accounts, Patreon accounts, MailChimp. I mean, the, the internet fascism is gone off the the i don't know just it's gone crazy the rails yeah the rails i was gonna say the track whatever track or rails yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty wild so it is a good timely conversation to have uh we do get into a little bit of decentralization and blockchain domains and stuff like that and i know some of it might be new but it's good to expand your mind challenge your brain and uh just a, a caveat to I don't think Brad here was a believer, uh, but he does a good job of uh, answering some of the questions we had that pertain to biblical eschatology. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, he's a good sport. All right, folks. Well, we'll uh, talk to you more at the end of the show. But until then, enjoy this episode of Canary Cry News Talk. Canary Cry Radio. Oh, dang it. (laughs) Enjoy this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Woo! Hey, everybody. (laughs) Are we going? Are we live? We're live. We're live. Oh, my gosh. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil. And this is Gons. Thank you guys for tuning in. It's a little different today because we got an interview. It's a Canary Cry Radio episode, not a news talk. So Love hopefully it. you guys will learn some stuff here. We got Brad Cam with us today. Brad is the co-founder of Unstoppable Domains. And you might have heard us talking about decentralization and blockchain and all this kind of stuff. And uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about it today, specifically from Brad. Brad Cam, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um just to start off, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, just real brief, so that you know people kind of know what you're about, where you're coming from? Yeah, for brief sure. Not so brief, man. You can start all the way from the beginning. You know, <laughs> where, where were you born? Yeah. What kind of, uh, you know, what was your favorite food as a, as an infant? Milk was mine. I don't know what yours was, but uh, we're, we're, let us get to know you a little bit. 
Yeah, I uh, the, my earliest memories food wise would be uh, peanut butter and crackers, so nothing too, <laughs> nothing too, nothing too wild. But uh, I'm uh, I'm from Atlanta. Um, I'm entrepreneur. Been starting companies since um, pretty early age. Started some uh, real estate related companies in Atlanta. There was kind of a it was kind of during a crazy time. There was the real estate market was going wild in the mid two thousands, and then. It crashed down really low in the late 2000s and caused a global recession. So I was part of it during the boom time and during the bust time. And at some point, I think around 2012, I realized that uh, I was uh, I was in the wrong game. That I was, you know, not 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 doing not playing with the future. I was, you know, not in software. So I decided to get out of real estate, move to San Francisco, packed packed two bags, had almost you know sold my company. Um, didn't, didn't get very much out of it, but, um, packed two bags, moved to San Francisco and started doing the, uh, the software entrepreneurship thing. So moved out in 2012, started working on a company that was not related to blockchain, but I, uh, moved into this, uh, kind of wacky hacker house called 20 mission. Uh, it was, I think 14 people living in these like broken down rooms. Uh, at one point somebody called the. Uh, police saying that a bunch of squatters were living there. And when they showed up, we were like, we were like no, we, we pay rent. And they're like, <laughs> you pay rent for this? Uh, they, they shot a few horror movies in this building uh, pretty early on, too. So just to give you an idea of what the vibe was. Uh, but it also it also launched a couple of uh, very early crypto companies, and it was like a, a hangout uh, for a lot of uh, a lot of early crypto activities in San Francisco. So I also met a whole bunch of people that were building on the stuff, and that's how I got into it. Wow! Yeah, there you go. So you've been looking forward, uh, you know, getting positioning yourself in the best place for uh, you know making the world a better place in the future. There and blockchain is one of those things. Now, you are uh, you're from Unstoppable Domains. And uh, people have heard, our listeners have heard uh, Gans mention this a few times. Uh, we, oh, we've we used Unstoppable dona- Domains. We're, we're into it. And we want to get a little bit deeper into the, the sort of philosophical idea between de- uh, behind decentralization and everything like that. But just as a, a, another little intro, what is Unstoppable Domains and why is Unstoppable Domains? Mm, good question. So what Unstoppable Domains is, is it is a uh, domain business. So similar to the creators of .com, we created a, a domain registry called .crypto. And it works in a similar way as a regular .com domain would work, uh, except there's a few different things. Uh, the first is that it's not part of regular DNS. And so it doesn't work in the same, it doesn't use the same system that .com and all the other domains you might be used to using use. Uh, Instead, it uses a a blockchain. And so what this means is, is that you store the domain yourself uh, inside of your wallet, not a company. So GoDaddy, for example, with your .com domain, stores your stores your .com domain, and it means that they can move it around. It means they can take it away from you. It means if they get hacked, it could get lost. Uh, but if you store it yourself in your wallet, none of that can happen. So that's yeah, so uh, that's a big idea. Yeah, it seems like uh, you know when we talk about digital assets and things like that, and and uh, you know unique 
digital assets that can't be copied and moved and owned. I mean, it sounds like for the basic premises, when you get an unstoppable domain's domain, you actually own it and can hold it and can control it uh, versus, you know, having some other company, you know, giving you access to the product that you purchased. Exactly. Exactly. Ooh, yeah. and, the, the why, and the why here. Uh, which I think is the most important question is that, you know, we think that everyone in the world should be able to have access to the Internet uh, without fear of censorship and that the current system uh, doesn't enable this. It has a whole bunch of companies and individuals and governments and all kinds of other people. They get to decide what's OK to say and what's not OK to say online. And it's a big deal because they can take you offline completely. In the current system, one person or one company or one group can say, I don't think what you're doing is okay, and they can make you disappear. Right. And that's the problem with the current system. And that is that is a solvable problem uh, with new tech that's decentralized. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting because it doesn't seem like that should be so revolutionary. And yet, here we are. It is revolutionary. And uh, even the idea of centralization versus decentralization is kind of a difficult concept for people who don't, uh, you know, spend a lot of time maybe understanding the, uh, the inner workings of the internet and networks and things like that. Um, can you give us like a, a layman's version of like, what is decentralization? How, how would it work? What, how is it different from what we already have and why should we care? Yeah, I think it really all comes down to permission. So am I giving somebody else a uh, permission to decide whether or not I can publish this website, whether or not I can make this payment, whether or not I can send this mes message. Am I relying right. on somebody else to give me permission to give me access to my username so I can you know, continue to communicate with you or my email address so I can continue to message with you? or whatever. It's all about it's all about how the system works at a fundamental level. Is there a person or a company that I need to rely on uh, who I'm trusting to give me access? Or do I control the access? Am I able to just interact directly with the system? And uh, to give everybody kind of an example, there's one that you there's a there's a, a decentralized network that a lot of us probably played with back in the day. Uh, if you remember the glory days of Napster, or the other music sharing networks in the Huzzah. early 2000s. Morpheus. Huzzah. Yeah, so I think we're dating ourselves here. LimeWire. <laughs> oh, yeah. LimeWire. We're making ourselves sound old because a lot of people <laughs> probably never even use those things. But there was this moment in the early 2000s where you could get any song you wanted, and yeah. it was free, and it was quick. And all you were doing was interacting with a peer-to-peer -peer network where you were uh, storing a song and then sharing it with the network. And then you could go and download it off of someone's computer. That technology, that framework, that dynamic is how blockchains work. Uh, and it's how all of this decentralized Internet stuff works, where instead of sharing that song, you're sharing my website. And so I can have 100,000 people around the world all sharing a copy of my website. And because I have that, it means that no one can just turn me off with a switch. Like right now, Amazon Web Services or whoever I use for my website can just with a flip, with a flip of a switch turn me off and I'm gone. My website's gone. No right. one can see my content anymore. Now in the U.S., 
this may not be as big of a deal. You know, a lot of people ask, like, you know, is that really a big problem uh, in America? And I would say, you know, it is to some extent, but it's not nearly what happens around the world. There's a lot of places where, you know, you can't even publish because they have systems set up to where if you use certain terms, it doesn't even go online in the first place, mm. much less get wow. taken down. It's just not even able to be published in the first place. And this is a crazy way for tools to work. Tools do not need to, technology does not need to work this way. Technology does not require a human to give me permission to use it. The humans who made that tool created a permission system. Um, right. But that's, not, that's, not, that's not necessary anymore. And it's actually quite dangerous because if you put somebody in charge, eventually over time, uh, they're going to get, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to use that power or the person who comes after them is going to use that power, uh, in a way that is, uh, inappropriate or not, not in everyone's best interest. So the, yeah. the community, the crowd can do a much better job deciding what's okay than any group of people that we could assign to make that kind of choice for us. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting because it it seems so natural to us now, you know, that we have a internet service provider, we have services provided to us, whether they be, you know, the obvious ones like Facebook or uh, YouTube or even things like Squarespace, you know, website hosting, that kind of stuff. It's fun because we all have access to creating and putting out content, but like you said, at the same time, there the the heavy handed control that are just built into the system, you know, mainly for sort of free market reasons, because uh, that's how you make it's how you make that sweet, sweet, uh, you know, Internet money. Um, but at the same time, like you said, it's kind of like the absolute power corrupts absolutely. And as we're seeing, especially in recent days, uh, you know, if a company doesn't like what you're putting out there, they just shut you down. No ifs, ands, or buts. You know, we had a stream cut the other week, or actually uh, the other episode, a day yeah. or two ago. Two days ago. And yeah, and not even to mention, you know, the censorship, if that's not too strong of a word, of just, you know, having stuff disappear out of thin air. So when you're talking about, uh, you know, when people in the audience here are trying to build a picture of centralization versus decentralization in your mind, you know, centralization is what we're dealing with now. You've got companies and uh, services who allow you to participate in the Internet and, uh, you know, they can obviously choose to uh, not allow you to participate in the Internet. And there's really nothing you can do about it. You're sort of at the whim of the, the levers of control. And I think that this is, even in cases where companies didn't want to be this way, like I don't think YouTube necessarily set out to say like, you know, in 10 years, we want to decide like what's appropriate for people to be watching in video or not. I don't think yeah. that's what they even intended to do. They just wind up in this place where once you wind up storing all that video, someone's going to call you up and say, hey, delete that one. I don't like right. this one. Then someone yeah. else is going to call you up and say, delete this other one. I don't like that one. And and it's it's by virtue of the way the system works. Like you control, you YouTube control those videos. Therefore, someone can call you up and try to convince you to take it down. Whereas right. if you YouTube didn't control that, if the user, if you the creators controlled your own videos and you gave YouTube access so they could show it to their users, the power dynamic would change completely because mm. you wouldn't need 
you wouldn't need to rely on YouTube servers. You would control the videos yourself. You would store those on your you know, decentralized storage network, your website, your decentralized website, and you would give access to YouTube. But you might give access to another 50 video sites too. So you don't have to worry anymore about being taken offline entirely. Now, YouTube might still say, we don't like what you're doing and kick you off, but it's not nearly as bad. Being hidden from YouTube but still being on 49 other platforms is very different than going off the internet entirely, which is what's happening right now. And totally. so it's just the way the tech actually works is not safe for us. And I don't blame the companies either. This was all that they were able, this is all they had at their disposal when they first launched. And they were trying to provide this service for us. Now that we've seen social media play out over the past 15 years, now we know it's something that needs to change. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But one of what the do you things, think, Gans? Yeah. One of the things that's, uh, I mean, we've again. It's a good week to talk to you because uh, just last week, one of my videos was taken down and it, for inappropriate content, and uh, another one on the face or the Canary Cry Radio channel was taken down, and uh, our last stream was cut off while we were getting into some of the the history of the the virus there. Um, but also, um, one of the reasons why I was interested, in, and there's a link to uh, there's an affiliate link. Just you know, to be transparent, I'm an affiliate, so. You know, if you guys want to pick up domains, we'll get into the unstoppable domain stuff a little bit more. But one of the reasons why I found you guys' stuff very interesting was because um, uh, I had I didn't know that there was one company that owned the .com extension and the .net and, and .gov and .edu, and they're, they're basically renting out all these domains to everybody. And it's the reason why we have to pretty much pay every year to to continue renting. Um, and it, I mean, I came face to face with it because I used to have facelikethesun.com. I had it since 2010, I think is when I got the domain or maybe it was early 2011. And, um, you know, it, partly my fault, but partly, you know, just the, the way the system works. Uh, I didn't get any of the notifications to re, uh, you know, just reclaim my domain. So one day I was looking and I, my domain was down. I thought, okay, I just got to go fix it. Or I thought it was a certificate issue or something. And lo and behold, I found out that my domain was swooped up by some other company and they're trying to sell it back to me for $2,500. And I said, I'll give you a hundred bucks for it. And they said, you can give us payments each month for whatever. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. So I went with the .net for now, but it, it was one of those moments where I thought, man, this is ridiculous. Like this, this is something that I built for 10 years and it just gets taken away from me because I didn't get some notifications and email and there's gotta be a better way out there. And so that's what piqued my interest in looking into what you guys were up to. Um, just so for anyone out there, you know, cause we, we talk about these things and you know, we're not trying to say that this is going to be some kind of be all end all freedom thing, but these are tools that especially what you guys are developing that uh, I think can help uh, you just get, wrap our heads around what the, the current system is, and that's part of the learning curve for everyone, but also just a way to, again, bring ownership back to the individual. So talk a little bit about how that works in terms of the, just, you know, don't get too technical, but in terms of the technology and the stack and all that stuff, and, you know, we got a, someone in the in the chat saying VeriSign, and, and, you know, so they're aware of some of those things, but how, how does it work, and what are you guys doing different to... Uh, you know, give power back to the people, so to speak. So the traditional system is relying on uh, DNS servers, 
And so there is a group of people that control the DNS servers, and there's multiple copies of it, but it's essentially controlled by, by a group of people. And that's like the official record of all of the domain names and who owns them. And then there are uh, custodians, registrars like GoDaddy, who have a license and they're able to make updates. They're able to say like, oh, this person now owns this. This facelikethesun.com squatter now owns facelikethesun.com, unfortunately. That would be like GoDaddy or the registrar or whatever that makes that update. Uh, and they're also, they also act as your custodian. The registry, like VeriSign or whatever, the seller of .com, has a license with another group um, to have the right to, to rent those domains to, to customers. So there's like a whole bunch of levels where VeriSign could even lose the right to .com, and that could change things. Hmm. Um, so there's a whole bunch of weird things going on in that system. And then the website piece, so the domain piece is on DNS servers. The website piece is on whatever hosting service you use, Amazon Web Services or whatever. You're pointing an IP address to the domain name. That's how it works. Um, So there are uh, domain registrars who can take your domain away. And then there are web hosting services who like like Amazon who can turn you off. Uh, In the system that we're building, we're replacing the DNS servers with a domain on a blockchain. And so this is a smart contract on like Ethereum blockchain, which is the probably the most uh, the most uh, mature uh, blockchain network at this point. And then, so the domain is part of a smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain, which means that the domain sits inside of your Ethereum wallet. Uh, it's called an ERC721 token. So for anybody out there who's played with like CryptoKitties or Gods Unchained or any of these other collectibles, uh, domains use the same format. So you can store them in the same way as you would a, a crypto kitty, and many popular wallets uh, enable this, where you can see your domain sitting inside of your sitting inside of your wallet. Um, this is controlled with your private key, which means that if you have your domain on your phone, somebody needs to physically get your phone if they want to move the domain. They would need to get your phone, unlock yeah. your phone, and then move it. That's the only way to do it. There's no way to do it remotely or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, so we've got domain name on a blockchain, and then we've got content on a network called IPFS. This is my website is on IPFS, and this is similar to that um, to that LimeWire example, to that Napster example, where instead of songs, it could be songs, but instead of songs, I've got websites. So I I post a, I, I store I store a website on the network and there's a thousand other people storing that same website on the network. So I can find I can find and view this website by downloading it from you know I have a thousand different people I could choose from to download it as opposed to just Amazon Web Services. Who if Amazon Web Services decided to turn it off, then it's gone. So long answer: you replace DNS with the blockchain. You replace Amazon Web Services with IPFS. And from there, you wind up with a decentralized website. So cool. And, uh, you know, I think that was very well put in a way that if anybody's out there has, you know, opened or has started a website, built a website, you know, had to go through all these different little channels uh, in order, like kind of how you put it, to be allowed to do what you want to do, allowed to use the name, the URL that you want, allowed to use a service to put up a website. Um, As you know, we've gone a little bit into it before, and I mentioned it uh, earlier this show, you know, digital assets, it's a little bit hard to understand when you don't have 
a full, you know, when you don't have a full understanding of how things work as of now. But when you talk about storing the the URL as a token in a wallet, you know, an easy way to think about that uh, for those who might, you know, might not have all the technical details, it's almost like your domain is a a cryptocurrency almost. Uh, you know, it's a transaction stored well, not a transaction, but, you know, a digital asset stored in your own wallet. So it's an actual object that you own, which is a pretty incredible, you know, paradigm shifting idea of uh, of how these things would work. So that's pretty cool. And I think it's very similar to the way that, you know, dollars are to cryptocurrencies as traditional domains are to blockchain domains. Where basically with your dollars, you know, they're stored inside of a bank, which means that you don't you don't control them. The bank controls them Uh, in the same way. GoDaddy stores your domain for you. You don't control it. They control it. And there's actually no other way to get digital access to your money, uh, your dollars without trusting a bank or someone else. There's no way to get access to your digital domain without trusting a GoDaddy or something like that. So it's built into the system that there's actually, you have to have a custodian. There's no way out. And so the same is true here for cryptocurrencies. Don't require a custodian. You can you can store your own money. Same thing here. You can store your own domain. So cool. Now, now Gantz, if yeah. you don't mind, before yeah, sure. we move on to the next question, I want to give uh, a big old shout out to the people okay. over on Twitch yeah, and fine. remind people about how cool Twitch is real quick. Okay, is that cool with you? Yeah. All right. Uh, Brad, are you cool with that? Let's do it. You get to meet some of our cool new followers over on Twitch. For those who need reminding, Twitch, we're trying to hit some goals over there so we can hit partner and it opens up all sorts of fun tools just to let everybody know the types of cool stuff that we're talking about. Uh, Once we hit partner, there's a way we can set it up where you, the listeners, can control jingles on the show. So I'm excited for that one. I don't know about you, Guns, but uh, so if you guys help us hit that goal, that's the kind of cool stuff we're going to be working with. And uh, let's see, we got to get that average viewership up over on Twitch. So if you're watching anywhere else around the internet, please head to twitch.tv slash Radio. Guns is going to drop that link in the chat for everybody. And I'm going to give just a few shout outs here to some of our new followers. Uh, one of them is even our dog is woke thanks even our dog is woke for following very cool thanks for being here uh let's see we got island girl 21 thanks for being here island girl 21 this one i like gaston the jesuit priest okay we got the jesuits keeping an eye on us over here liking it uh let's see here mediosa uh sorry medios alternativos cool there we go uh some fun stuff there and let's see one do we got one more i saw um the real elon musk follows us now so thanks the real elon musk (laughs) thank you guys so much for following and if you guys follow during the show here we're going to give some shout outs later on so go to twitch.tv slash canary cry radio and uh let's get her done folks okay back to you brad the man of the hour um you know, I saw somebody. Oh, by the way, listeners watching live, uh, we're going to do a, a a little 
answer question and answer segment at the end. So hold your questions uh, until we mention that because uh, we got we got the man on the line. So at the end of the show, keep your questions. We'll ask for them and we can uh, have Brad answer some of them for you. One of them, Brad, uh, was somebody was saying, oh, man, this sounds complicated. It looks like I'm going to have to get my hacker skills up. Is that something people are going to need uh, getting involved with Unstoppable Domains? Is some sweet, sweet hacker skills? No, and that's actually kind of our reason for being. You know, the the thing about blockchain is that I think it has some unbelievably smart, talented, um, truly brilliant, groundbreaking engineers, security engineers in particular, mm-hmm. uh, and it's missing all the UI and UX and product people. So the thing that's been missing is is that stuff works, and it's so awkward that it only works for developers. And the whole thing we're trying to do here is take this down to a level and to a form where it makes sense to people uh, who don't necessarily know or even care about crypto. They might care about censorship or whatever. So we're not trying to serve only crypto people. It it is helpful. There's going to be a part of the process where you're going to want to philosophically understand what's going on with the crypto part. Um, just so you understand, like, I control my domain. So that's important for you to understand as a user. I store my own domain because it changes the user behavior. But, right. other, but other than these core ideas, no. Like, if you go to our, I see you got our, our website up back there. So you go, you can type in a domain. It works just like you would expect it would, like at a GoDaddy, where you search, you click checkout, you buy, can pay with credit card, you can pay with PayPal, you can pay with crypto. Uh, when you manage a domain, meaning add your website to it, you, we have like a little template builder, um, which looks you know, similar to like what you would see from like a Wix or something like that. And you just type in, uh, you, know, you just drag and drop photos and images and you do kind of all the basic stuff you'd expect and you, you get yourself a website. Now, cool. obviously, if you want to build an, an, a more complicated app, you're going to need to uh, you're going to need to write code, but that's the case for you know regular websites too. So there are definitely tools for non-technical users to be able to launch websites pretty easily, and those tools are getting better. Like we're we're going to see uh, all kinds of all kinds of easy kind of apps. We call them templates, but they're like little apps. Um, so you can launch various types of websites without needing to code. So very cool. Cool. Yeah. Sweet. So, so there's a couple questions here that I have that that. Uh, go along the same lines here. So you talk about censorship resistant websites and they, they, you know, we can put up a website and nobody can take it down. And obviously philosophically, that's a much better sort of system than what we have now, where you got all kinds of places, centralized gatekeepers that can take us down at at any moment. Um, However, the flip side of that is you have all these horrible things out there, you know, uh, kitty prawn and I, I say prawn but just you know just to censor myself um but you know stuff on the, the dark web the deep web you, you got all kinds of horrific videos and and all kinds of stuff how is that going to be uh allowed as well you know I, I, there's a part of the law maybe that's in, involved with that but also how are you guys you know dealing with that just philosophically but technically as well yeah, and I think it's you know this this is a really important question. I, I think I'm I'm actually quite I'm I'm optimistic that decentralized web will dramatically improve uh, the way that this works over the current web. Where in the current web, it's very easy to find dark little corners 
uh, to do all kinds of uh, all kinds of bad stuff, and it's actually harder to catch. So what we believe is that at the technology level, at the base level, the way all of this stuff works, it can't have anybody who can control it, stop it, whatever. Because if you do that, then you wind up introducing a security flaw. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you if you introduce that, it's inevitably going to be used by people in power uh, to gain more power. So the only safe system is one that doesn't have anybody uh, at the base layer. But at the second layer, meaning when you go into an app and you go and try to view a website, a browser, for example, is not forced to resolve every single website. So a browser can say, you know what, this website is associated with phishing or illegal activity or immoral activity or whatever, and they can not resolve the website. They can show you a warning. They can have settings in the browser, kind of more similar to like, you know, childproof settings or things like that. They could even have political ideology settings where, because, you know, you might have one group that wants to rely on the ACLU for their definition of where the free speech line is. Somebody else might say, I want to rely on some different group because I don't trust the ACLU. And all of these different versions of free speech and what's okay and what's not okay can coexist. So I'm going to choose my browser and my browser can choose my internet. And in this way, I have dozens or hundreds of options. So the effect of all of this is that 99.99% of applications are not going to show things that are uh, seen as unethical and immoral or illegal. But if something really does need to be heard, it's going to get out um, because people will want it to get out. And, and so I think that's, that's the key thing. And then to kind of get down into the weeds a little bit, this problem that YouTube and Facebook and all these other companies have, they have to do their own filtering. They have, I mean, it's this horrible, horrible job where they force people to watch this stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then identify manually, this is this bad stuff that no one else should see. I feel I just it's the worst job imaginable. Yeah. Um, all of those systems are siloed. They don't tell you what their criteria are. They don't cooperate together in any way. Uh, whereas in the future, all these apps can just share a share a record of here are the bad sites. And then the community can also decide, you know, here are the bad sites. And then applications can say, I want to do filtering based on what the community believes. And you can have different communities believe different things. So this flexibility allows us to do all the filtering that we would want to be doing in applications today, uh, but also guarantees that if something really does need to get out there, people will, will, will push it out there. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a long answer and it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird new dynamic where we're not going to have one version of the internet anymore that everyone sees. Uh, but I think that's better. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's, it's almost like you're putting the responsibility back to the individual rather than relying on a Facebook or relying on a YouTube to, to curate that for you. And certainly, you know, the outrage is, it's interesting because the outrage is always all YouTube and all Facebook and, and whatever other, you know, I mean, the other countries you have your, your totalitarian sort of (laughs) more government oversight that's, that's doing that. But this is totally flipping that and saying, no, you're almost responsible for your own internet, your own access to what you want to see, what you want what kind of information you want your browser to filter and things like that. So I, 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 that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
the other part, that, and I guess this is where you know a lot of some of our audience, you know, has these concerns is the backdoor question. You know, what, what's the well? There's two parts to this. The backdoor is there a secret backdoor? Do you think to any of this stuff? The Ethereum blockchain, Bitcoin, and also the other part being uh, access to the internet as a whole. Uh, you know, right now we rely on these companies. Like for me, I have Cox Communication. Uh, they, if they throttle my internet signal, I'm out of luck. I really can't access the internet. I mean, I guess I can get on my, my phone and, and use some of the satellite stuff, but, uh, what, what are your thoughts there in terms of just, you know, the censorship or the ability to censor just anyone's access to the internet in general? So in terms of the back door, no, I, I actually don't think there is. I think, I mean, there could be security flaws yet to be discovered, but the community, specifically the Ethereum community, is good at uh, is good at identifying those. So I think that we can have reasonably high confidence that that network is secure, and if it's not secure, that it will fix itself. It will upgrade itself such that it is. Uh, and and the reason why we can feel confident in that is because it's a twenty billion dollar network, and so if you ha- if you were able to successfully hack it, you would make a lot of money, and people try constantly. And they haven't succeeded. So the proof is in the fact that it hasn't happened, essentially. Right. And the yeah. same and the same is true for Bitcoin, that Ethereum and Bitcoin have been battle tested over the course of several years where all kinds of people, all kinds of hackers around the world have tried. It's a, it looks like a super juicy target, actually, because it's just sitting out there in the public. All yeah. this money on this network hasn't happened. So I think that uh, that's part of the reason why we think the time is now for this kind of stuff, because... Ethereum has really just gotten, and smart contracts in general have really just gotten to the point where they are powerful enough, useful enough, mature enough that you can make a real, you can build a real app and a real business uh, on top of it. You can actually have this replace, you know, a DNS system now, and that's a relatively new thing in history. So, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty confident because I think those systems have have they've done a pretty amazing job. Totally. Um, you know, and it's interesting because you know, part of this natural change in, uh, you know, how even how we think about the Internet, it can be a little bit intimidating for uh, people once in a while. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing we're looking at, you're, you're trading, uh, uh, you know, you're getting security and free speech and uh, control over your own domains and possessions and websites. And in the short term, it seems like the only thing really that you're trading in for all of that is uh, convenience. I mean, that's kind of the battle with human beings right now and new technology coming out. And it's an ongoing conversation, you know, even in the privacy conversation when it comes to, you know, we're all carrying around little uh, spy machines in our pockets and uh, we just keep them around because they're so convenient being our phones with a Facebook app and a Google app and applications that are tracking everything we do. And, you know, if you really want to separate from the whole sort of construction of uh, spy gear 
that you've <laughs> willingly accepted in your own pocket, it's going to take some inconvenience, you know, taking Facebook off your phone, taking Messenger off your phone, using an encrypted texting uh, app, something like that. In the same way, you know, there will be some getting used to in, in making some sort of transfer over to a decentralized internet. But what people are finding more and more, especially those who are disconnecting from those, you know, spy apps that we put on our phone is uh yeah it seems a little inconvenient and it's a little different from how you've done it before but when you do it just like learning any other new technology when you do it you get all the benefits and you totally uh you know get used to it and forget about how how new and you know confusing things can be but it seems like you guys have got a pretty good streamlined uh, uh process over there to make it pretty user-friendly huh it's getting better. I mean, I, I would still say, though, to, you know, to your community, like we're early days. This is not ready to switch over Walmart.com yet. Right. You know, this yeah. is not this is not about to onboard the entire traditional Internet tomorrow. And and it's because it takes you have to just kind of remake all the a bunch of the tools and stuff like that. There's just a lot of pieces that need to come to come into place. But I think where we're at right now, it's becoming user friendly enough that your average crypto user can jump in, use it for the things that they would use it for, for, for crypto. And that community is, has a need because the tools that the whole point of having a DAP is that you can interact directly with the blockchain. I can make something, you can interact directly with the blockchain, you don't need to worry about me failing as a company anymore. If I disappear yeah. as a company, it doesn't matter. But if I disappear as a company and my smart contract is on the blockchain, but the only way to view that is by going to my .com website, then I still have this problem. So in the blockchain world, it, you, it's, it's critical to also also decentralize this piece. So I think that community is saying, you know, we, we need we need to get there and we need to get there soon because uh, it's hurting our business otherwise. So I think that's the first group. The second group is going to be people who uh, maybe are not crypto native, but they're really concerned about censorship. Maybe they're in Hong Kong or they're in Turkey or they're in some other place where they know that their Internet is not safe. And so that group i think will be the next group that we'll see flock to this even if it's a little awkward because they need it uh i think the third phase is going to be the everybody else phase the regular internet users and the reason why they're going to come on is because this tech will eventually be better than the right than the centralized tech mm -hmm. and i think this is true just in general for open source uh open source is amazing over the long term it's terrible in the short term um because it's super awkward and inconvenient to use, but it scales so much better and it causes so many more people to want to work on it. That's the thing that blockchain has. That's the thing that the internet had. That's the thing that all these other, you know, decentralized peer-to-peer -peer networks have is that you've got thousands or tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people all around the world motivated to make it better because they all feel like they have a part of it. And that's completely different than the way it works if you have one company. One company only scales up to the size of the motivated and passionate employees that they can hire open mm -hmm. source can motivate everyone right so it's just it's just it will win over the long term it will totally. be faster better cheaper to use yeah. the decentralized web than the regular web 
I know. And I love how you put it too, because, you know, when I think about open source and, and a lot of the different aspects of what you're talking about here is a deeply philosophical and important conversation. But I love, I love that uh, it, you talk about it in much more practical terms than I ever do. So I appreciate <laughs> that very much. I want to give uh, a big old shout out to a new follow of ours, uh, Elon Musk's hologram. Thanks for being in the chat, Elon Musk's hologram. We got the real Elon Musk. We got his hologram in here. We're loving it. Um, also, I see that there's a, looks like there's somebody from Unstoppable Domains hanging out. Paul Unstoppable in the chat there. I'm glad we got somebody to answer questions. So thanks, Paul Unstoppable. <laughs> Um, okay. So now there's some other questions because, you know, we've, we've touched on a lot of great, uh, emerging technologies and stuff where you guys are pushing, pushing the limits of what we're used to and, you know, what the, uh, what the control philosophy and mechanisms of our world can handle. Um, you know, but along with that, you know, there's things like artificial intelligence and internet of things, IOT, which are, uh, some technologies that we've had our eye on, you know, seeing how that starts to affect not just the world, but also the internet and how uh, the landscape of of the internet more more like and there's also other things like 5g and quantum computing things like that but specifically let's start with artificial intelligence and iot what's what what does that look like with uh, the decentralized web well i think artificial intelligence is probably just like a supercharger on all things you know mm -hmm. it's like if i can invent at this pace you know maybe the ai can invent at this pace times you know X a lot more. So yeah, I think it's well, it's like, got to figure out a way to uh, enslave all humanity and harvest our energy to for its own continuation. You know, I mean, I think that is the inevitable. The inevitable <laughs> state may be the maybe the Google overlord or whatever. Um, the whatever that whatever the AI overlord looks like, but I think there's probably going to be a golden age before that. You know, where stuff's <laughs> super easy and you got a digital assistant that solves all your problems or whatever. So I'm look, really looking forward to that 10 or 15 year window before. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> so of like the internet. I love that outlook. You yeah. know, <laughs> we are going to be uh, enslaved in the end, but we'll have some really convenient uh, decades <laughs> before that. I love it. Uh, uh, but in terms of IoT, I think that's also um, you know, pretty relevant because you have, you know, what you have is essentially you know, a bunch of internet connected devices. And they can do stuff for you, and you're going to want those internet-connected devices to be able to be secure. Uh, you know, you certainly, you know, it would be pretty scary if somebody could, like, you know, hack your vacuum cleaner and, you know, chase you around your house or something. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there, it, it's it's kind of like it raises the stakes on some of the security stuff when you're talking about everything in your house or everything in your life uh, being on the internet, and I think that's just one more reason why you're going to need uh, a decentralized web and you're going to need control of your own data because it's going to be super scary to have vulnerabilities when you're not just talking about your phone anymore. You're talking about all kinds of parts of your life. So I think it's more just that it's almost like a little bit hard for IoT to go really mainstream uh, until you have more security. And I think that even might be one of the reasons why it hasn't maybe caught on in people's houses as much as, you know, you go watch a movie from the 1990s, you know, in 2015, like, you know, robots are doing everything. Yeah. So right. I don't think we've gotten there yet. And I think that might be one of the reasons that we don't have the, we don't have this data security part solved. 
Right. That makes sense. And, and then one of the next things we wanted to touch on is 5g. Um, there's little pushback on that in terms of some of the studies that show, uh, you know, making D like unwrapping DNA and stuff like that. And, and there's, so you know, there's concerns around that. Um, what are your thoughts there in terms of 5g? Do you think there's, do you think they're going to get into some frequencies that are detrimental to human health? I am not a, I am no expert on these things. So I have okay. actually no, <laughs> just a no blockchain boy. He doesn't know <laughs> yeah, about the, boy. and then the concept. And then the big one, that, one thing though. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I do have one, one, con, one comment there, which is that, you know, those types of networks tend to be run by like two or three companies. And, mm-hmm. you know, those are the companies that have purchased the bandwidth from their perspective, you know, well, from their prospective government or whatever. And that's really holding us back. Right. Like right. we were talking, we had a question, there was a question earlier that I, I'm sorry, guys, I don't think I got to, which was around uh, internet access in general. Yeah. And I think internet access is a huge problem and it's a huge problem related to our, the problems that we're working on that needs to be solved. And you're not going to get a fully decentralized internet. I don't think unless you can guarantee, um, decentralized, you know, no permission access to the internet too. And I'm very excited about things like, you know, Elon shooting internet satellites into space. Um, (laughs) I think that that kind of stuff is potentially great. I think, um, you know, virtual private networks that are very, you know, complex where you're, you know, peer-to-peer networks where I'm able to go and use the internet off of someone's device that's 100 feet away from me or whatever. There's a lot of potential there, but I think this is a critical part uh, for us to also have. So I am suspicious of these giant companies controlling internet access because I just think that is not the way, not the way the internet should be going moving forward. And we should be dismantling that, um, that, horribly centralized uh, system and I'm sure anybody who's used Verizon or whatever recently would know like that is not a company trying to deliver a good service like they are clearly in a position where they can just kind of do what they want Um, and I think that's the case with a lot of these uh, a lot of these um, internet service providers and that's that's really bad yeah yeah that makes sense so yeah that's a really good point with looking at who controls the technology rather than the tech itself. The tech itself might be benign, but those who control it and those who are able to distribute it, uh, they're the ones we should really keep an eye on. But also the one last thing before we go into our next little thing here is quantum computers. It gets brought up all the time. Um, even within, uh, you know, the, the, some of the crypto news channels I watch and stuff, they all, some people might bring up, Hey, can quantum computers crack, um, all the SHA-256 code, you know, encryption and is, is all of our, uh, private keys eventually going to be cracked by quantum computers. What are your thoughts there? Uh, I think if that were to happen, that would be a, that would have a bigger impact than just on crypto because that's like, that's how encryption works. You know, that it, those, those encryption methods work. A lot of industries rely on those things. Right. So we would, we would essentially have like kind of global chaos if that happened. And we would probably need to update systems to a new, you know, a new security method pretty quickly. So it's a little hard to predict. I know it's kind of one of those things that security researchers like to, uh, like to theorize about, uh, my sense from having just kind of, you know, talk to people that are more on the like building blockchain side is that they expect that, you know, kind of whatever innovations there are on the, you know, on the, you know, breaking encryption side, that that's just going to mean you're going to need to have more innovations on the developing new encryption side. Right. So it's kind of more like cat and mouse game, you know, right, like right. 
you always got to kind of stay ahead of, you know, whatever the tech is that can break your system. And each time you, we think as humans, we've built a system that can't be broken. Somebody might find a way to, you know, break it or find some future vulnerability. And then we have to upgrade. Um, I think that probably that there's a very good chance that that could happen at various points. Uh, I don't stay up at night worrying about it because I think there's, first of all, there's smarter people than me that are already worrying about it. So I, I have, I have some, uh, some relief there, but it's also just that, um, we probably will need to migrate a bit at various points. And that's just kind of how it goes with, with tech. I think people were freaking out at the end of last year when Google came out with quantum supremacy as their big PR stunt there to, to make it seem like they figured out quantum computers. Uh, but it, right. it, the, the technical people were saying that's not the case, but uh, yeah, it, it's uh, another marketing ploy by Google there. Um, <laughs> but um, one of the things uh, we uh, how much time have we got left? We got a little bit more time here. Um, one of the things that I wanted to bring up with you and, and just for the people that are interested in unstoppable domains, <laughs> If you do a search on YouTube for, for interviews and, and you know, t- interviews with Brad, uh, one of the things that popped up was uh, a, a video by a guy named The Crypto Lifestyle who was very critical of Unstoppable Domains. Not, not the company per se, but there was, a, I guess, a little mix-up with him buying a domain called CryptoZombie.Crypto. And uh, there's a YouTuber named CryptoZombie who... Uh, you know, should have had ownership of that or something. And he's a partner with unstoppable domains. And it was a pretty scathing type of thing, trying to say that you guys are centralized and you guys are, uh, you know, you guys aren't to be trusted in this type of thing. Um, I don't know what came out of that. I, I might've been, I think it was a few months ago. Uh, can you give us an update on what that was and, and what, if there's any resolution or anything like that? Yeah. So this is, um, this is a intentional aspect of our launch where we are running what is called a sunrise period where we protect the domains of brand holders. And this is super important, even with a blockchain system, because otherwise you're going to have your entire domain registry full of scammers, fishers, copycats, and people who the brand owners wouldn't be able to participate. So you mean I can't get Google.crypto or (laughs) Amazon.crypto? You can't. And how am I supposed to retire, man? That was my plan. (laughs) But face like the sun, we've got for you. Because the idea is, is that the first of all, this is a safety consideration. We don't want to have people be able to to go around with a name that looks like it's someone else, and then potentially, you know, fish that person or whatever. So it's a security concern, especially with a blockchain domain where you're receiving money. Um, But it's also a just adoption question. It's important to make sure that the right people get the right domains. That's very hard to do on chain. So the way it works is you buy the domain from us. Once you claim the domain, it's yours forever. There's absolutely nothing we can do. That's the way the blockchain works. That's the way the system works. But we think that during the sunrise period, it's important for us to make sure that those domains don't go to people that aren't the brand owners. We had a bug in our system, unfortunately, and somebody was able to claim the domain of a person who had worked with us, who we intended to give the domain to them. We had a bug. It was able to be uh, registered by someone else. That's unfortunate. The only error I see there is that we made a bug on our, we had a bug on our system and it enabled the wrong person to claim the domain. Okay. So, 
Ooh, yeah. That's the only, that's the only, that's the only thing I feel bad about there. Not that we, not that we, not that we, uh, we, uh, we, uh, refunded the domain. I think we should have done that. Now, right. had he claimed it, it would have been impossible to refund. So we instead, you know, asked him to get it to the right person. He didn't want to, he was, you know, trying to, trying to get attention. So I'd rather not give it more attention if we, if we can, uh, if we can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that makes sense. And I think there was a period also where you allowed, uh, the 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 brands to claim certain domains as well if i'm not mistaken that there was a period of time that uh you contacted these companies and brands and said hey we have this you know brand domain uh on the dot crypto and if they didn't accept it then the person who you know purchased it or claimed it was able to to hold on to it um yeah and that's still going on. Okay. So that's an, until the end of the year. And, and we're trying to make this super easy for brands to adopt. So we are allowing brands to claim their domains for free if they prove that they are the owner of that brand. So the purpose of this is to get adoption. Like if, right. we, if, like if you don't do it this way, you're not going to be able to have a mainstream domain registry because... Uh, brands won't be able to use it. Companies won't be able to use it. And it's going to be full of people pretending to be somebody that they're not and trying to scam you for money. So. Yeah. Yeah. That this makes is sense. the best way to build a system. Like this, there we like, go. We're, you know, we are, you know, we think this is the right approach and that, that's why we're, that's why we're doing it this way. Now, ultimately now, what's going to happen is that you'll be able to register. Uh, it will be open at some point where you will be able to register without having to go directly through us. But that's not critical for getting the censorship resistant piece because all you need to do is own a domain and then you're good. Now, yeah. Brad, there's uh, someone on the YouTube here, Ann 411 She's saying blockchain will lead to singularity for AI. Respond. I don't know what will lead to singularity for AI, but I'm a little bit more worried about plugging a computer into my directly into my brain than I am about blockchain for the singularity. But okay. uh, who knows? All who right. knows? We got you on that one. And 411 <laughs> got you. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. So moving on here. Now, here's the thing. Uh, we see that the concepts of decentralization and a new version of the internet and, uh, you know, inevitably trying to um, loosen the grip of control uh, over, you know, people, over people, just full stop, <laughs> and yeah. people, you know, interacting with the internet, which interesting, when I was uh, younger, the internet was sort of considered like, fake space like a not real world where nothing matters and it's just a big waste of time and obviously a decade later here uh it's it's not really considered a fake world i mean certainly with social media and real people being on the other side and uh huge amounts especially during this uh pandemic thing uh huge amounts of uh, ec uh sorry economics going on uh on the internet not just with big companies like amazon but you know people are making their livings on the internet if it wasn't for the internet this fake real world gons and i would just be two guys uh you know sitting in a closet alone yelling uh at each other about uh ai <laughs> and blockchain and things yeah um but luckily now we get real people to listen 
But when it comes to the future, you know, we we explore all sorts of things going on in the world, you know, and our audience are, are smart, smart, uh, you know, paying attention-y people. Um, and we often discuss the future and technology through uh, sort of a lens of biblical eschatology, uh, meaning like, yeah, where's all this going? Where's it going to end? Um and Gons, you know, you might have to, you might have to give a little bit of a intro. Sure. Do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, it's interesting that you brought up some of the, you know, the the over the Google Overlord type of scenario as a potential outcome, because there is this interesting prophecy in the Book of Revelation. It's in chapter 13, and uh, verse 15, it talks about the second beast, which is uh, supposed to be a false prophet type of character was permitted to give breath to the image. An image throughout the Bible is talked about as, as an idol, as a statue, it doesn't have life, but all of a sudden it's given breath and all of a sudden this image is able to, to speak and kill anybody who doesn't worship it, which is pretty intense, um, which sounds a lot like an AI or a robot, you know, sentient robot type of situation. And then it also, uh, this is also the same passage that uh, talks about the mark of the beast, which I'm sure you've heard of in, in if be, because you work in the world of cryptocurrency, I'm sure you've come across that before. But no, you know, nobody can buy or sell uh, small, great, rich, poor, free slave. They'll all receive a mark on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless they had the mark, uh, the the name of the beast or the number of its name and six 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 and all that. What are your just thoughts there? I mean, th- these are prophetic passages that were written a couple thousand years ago. Do you think that there's any kind of reality to this being someone that just is in technology and entrepreneurship and everything like that? This is, you know, a little bit outside of the scope of a question that you might regularly receive, but I'm just curious. And I think we're curious. The audience is probably curious what your thoughts are on some of these passages. I think, um, I think the AI as this sort of, you know, potential overlord, future overlord is, not an irrational fear, honestly. Mm. Hey, um, uh, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me, Brad. Uh, I think that that we need to be careful as a species, as a society, uh, to make sure that we don't create something that could hurt us. Uh, I think that is a very real fear. I think it's going to be very hard to identify what those what that thing is as it's happening you know i think it's going to be kind of hard to spot you know and so we may look be looking in the wrong direction frequently um Mm. so i think the hard part is to try to figure out what actually is the thing um but i think in general in general my view when i think about the potential dangers of said overlord uh i would be thinking about how do we give as much power to the people as possible because I think, I mean, I know that sounds like my solution for everything, um, but I think it really is. I think it really is the solution for this too. Because I don't think that if you gave every person on Earth a vote, I do not think they would vote for the Overlord. If you gave the two thousand people who built and designed the Overlord a vote, they might vote for it. Mm. So I think that's the concern. Uh, is that a company or a group of people or whatever could build or roll out an AI um, that could impact the whole planet. 
And I don't think that humanity working together would make that same decision. So my uh, remedy, I guess, is that we have more control as individuals over our data, over our assets, and have an ability to voice our opinions collectively online easier and better. And that's how we can vote against uh, somebody making something that could actually harm us or prevent and eventually potentially stop them. And I don't think this is the way that society works currently. I think it's actually quite easy for them to, to vote 2,000 people creating the overlord and deploy it. Right. Um, so I think this is something that needs to be changed. We are currently not super you know, protected against this. Uh, and we could be if we had more sovereignty as individuals. So that's my... That's my that's my remedy. Very well Very done. Yeah. Great, great remedy. And uh, so, you know, what I'm going to give the chat, the the live audience here, a little bit of a warning. We're going to be moving into a question and answer period. It'll be kind of short, but you got some time to take a few questions, right, Brad? I got a few minutes, yeah. Okay, we got a few minutes. So if you got some uh, serious questions, pop them into the chat. Uh, not serious questions will be addressed at my discretion. Um, but <laughs> if you are wondering, uh, if you have any additional questions for Brad about uh, decentralized internet or privacy or uh, AI overlords or anything that we've talked about here, pop them into the chat there. We'll give you a few minutes to think of some questions while I give a shout out or two here on the chat. We have a new follower, uh, Thread Rippert. What's up, Thread Rippert? Oh gosh, my my VR hand is losing control. The tech just isn't there yet. I can't control anything. Oh my! Okay, gosh. we got uh, Hans Transhumanism. What's up, Hans Transhumanism? Love it, love it. Um, also, I saw that uh, Jeff Bezos number one, not a clone, is here. So. Thanks. Uh, I always love it when he pops into the chat. Thanks for being here, buddy. Um, okay, let's see here. Scanning. Oh, we oh, got man. a question uh, from the Maverick Pilgrim. How can unstoppable domains interlace with a mesh network solution? That sounds like a very technical question. Um, well, by mesh network, I'm going to assume you mean like uh, being able to uh, have like a decentralized uh, decentralized internet access. Uh, that's typically what people mean. Where you, know, I've got my. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Where I go and I use the internet by getting access to somebody else's uh, internet on somebody else's device that's nearby me. Right. So uh, the mesh network or the you know access to the internet would just be uh, like your first step. You know. So right now. Uh, so right now you've got you know. We've got domains and we've got websites, but we still have this problem where somebody could turn off my internet access. So it's still it's still better than uh, the current system. You can take down a website entirely. The decentralized web, you can't take down a website, but you can block a certain person from viewing that website temporarily, maybe, but you can still block them. With a mesh network, a decentralized internet service provider, you can't even do that last step. So that's the holy grail. Like once we have that, we've got everything. We basically have a system where anybody can just get online, anybody can transact and launch websites and do whatever they want to do, communicate, and no one can stop it. That's the holy grail. So I think the, the mesh network is like a 
a missing piece. We're not focused on this piece. There are companies that are working on it. Uh, it's not critical for us to get started, but I think over the long term, it is critical uh, to have a really, you know, a really robust censorship resistant internet. Great. Um, I want to correct myself. I, I called uh, the new one of the new followers Hans Transhumanism. His name is Hans Trumanism. Hans Trumanism. Trumanism. Sorry about that, Hans Trumanism. Okay, I got a question from uh, Ferraro CJ. I'm 50. What would be one advice to give someone who is just stepping into this new area? So maybe uh, decentralization or crypto or anything like that. Any advice for a 50-year-old just getting started? So it depends on your taste, but... Uh, I would definitely recommend uh, watching videos. That's always helpful. If you, there's a ton of great content about Ethereum in particular, uh, as well as about IPFS, which is the decentralized storage network. All of that stuff is going to be super interesting. If you're a little bit more of uh, of a nerd, you might want to start with the Bitcoin white paper, which is eight pages long, but very profound. And that alone might kind of get the wheels turning uh, in your head for like what this what this new paradigm really means. Mm, great point. Yeah. The, the Bitcoin white paper being sort of the the ancient sacred texts of blockchain <laughs> and decentralization. Yeah, good, good it, place to start. It's the Old Testament of the crypto. World. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well put. Um, OK, Holden. <laughs> Holden McGroin asks, uh, does it work with the current system or do we need to forsake the current system? And I'll pair that with a question from Flippy Official uh, who says, can we access decentralized web on our mobile device? So maybe uh, a little bit into how do you actually interact um, with sites uh, built through your service or maybe even the future of that? Yeah, so I think you're going to see decentralized web and traditional web sitting next to each other uh, for mm -hmm. quite a while. So they're not going to necessarily exist in completely separate systems. But what's happening right now is so we're just starting down the path of uh, integrations with browsers. And so uh, one of them is so we have a Opera browser, which is live right now on Android. So if you have an Android phone, you could type in, you know, Kyber.crypto, for example, which is a crypto exchange that's live, uh, and you'd be able to see that website. Uh, if you're on a desktop, it's extensions right now, um, like Chrome extensions and things like that. Uh, but there's a lot more coming. So browsers need to integrate this. Uh, it's different than the way that they would do uh, a traditional uh, look, do a traditional lookup for a website. But they're interested, and they, you know, the browser community, uh, by and large, was I would say, you know, supporters of open web that the, the browser industry in general, I think varying a lot of excitement there. So uh, long answer, they will sit together. You'll probably start to see search engines that show you dot crypto uh, search results, as well as, you know, dot com search results together, mixed together. Um, most browsers will support both. So you won't have to go from, you won't have to have a special tool that doesn't allow you to view a dot com either. So I think we're going to see them kind of sit side by side inside of the apps that we use for a while until maybe slowly uh, people more and more start transitioning to transitioning to the decentralized version. Great. And, you know, actually, this is sort of a, this is a great question. And uh, depending on your time might be one of, if not the last question, but I think it's connected. And actually an important one here from Darth Tribbler, 
What's up, Darth Tribbler? The question, since uh, this, whoopsies, my chat just moved. Uh, since the centralization we are we currently have with the internet, we know today was initially geared uh, more towards standardization to grant better access to more people, as well as enabling better compatibility with different systems. With decentralization, what do you think uh, we could do to make sure that access and compatibility was there for everyone? Related question, I think, here. Yeah, it's a great question. I would say that in general, um, the way that blockchain works actually gets us to simpler, more universal standards than we have with the current internet. We may wind up in a place now, this is this is sort of an open question, but the way that it happened with the original, you know, with the with with the traditional internet, you know, is you would have the HTTP protocol, which is one of the first protocols used. And then there's a few other protocols that wound up kind of getting stuck together um, that makes up the current internet. We that wound up leading to a place of interoperability over time. Uh, we could wind up with a similar thing with blockchains where you wind up with a lot of different protocols stitched together. But even still, everything is open source. And the best part about blockchain tech is that it has this method to fund itself. Um, it has this currency involved. Uh, it is the networks are really good at bootstrapping themselves. They're far better than other open source networks at being able to proliferate. And so if you look at Ethereum, Ethereum has in the past four years gotten itself into, you know, all kinds of applications, hundreds of thousands or millions of developers. It's gotten itself all over the place. It's gotten itself into Opera browser. It's gotten itself into Samsung. It's gotten itself into Microsoft tools. It's gotten itself into all of these different places really fast. And that's a really good sign for standardization um, because the standards are able to get adopted faster in this world than they are in the traditional internet world. And I think part of that is just because of the, the funding. There's just open source blockchain communities have a hundred times more resources than an open source traditional internet community did 25 years ago. Perfo. Sounds Great good. answer. I, I do have one a, last. Oh, you got a question. Oh. I got one last okay. one from the from the chat here. Right. This is from Six String Commando, and again related. I think this was a great uh, series of questions. Oh my gosh, my VR hand is going wild. <laughs> oh no, I lost it. Oh you lost gosh, the question. Not good. No, no, I got it. Here we go. When do you foresee decentralized internet becoming the norm? Good, good cap off to that series of questions. Yeah, you, I you think got a timeline also- on when you might see this. Uh, you know, becoming more uh, ubiquitous? I think that, so I, I mentioned these sort of waves where I think it's the crypto community first. I think we're in the crypto community wave right now. I think this one has been going probably in earnest since 2019, so it's pretty new. I think we probably got another one to two years maybe of the crypto only wave or majority crypto wave. I think the next wave after that is going to be the, the the censorship wave. The people around the world that are getting censored that really, really need this stuff. And then I think the final wave after that is going to be the uh, everyone else, the migration wave. The I'm not moving over because I'm worried about censorship. I'm moving over because the system works better. And I think that wave, we're probably not even going to start that wave for another you know, five to 10 years or something like that. I think, okay, it's, I think so. that's going to take a little while, but the crypto community itself is, you know, 50 million plus people. Um, the community of people being censored is, 
you know, if you look at play, if you just count places in Asia alone, you probably can get up to about 2 billion people. Um, right. so the numbers, the numbers for that second group are pretty large. It's actually a little bit more, you know, people in a country like the United States where free speech is broadly protected are probably one of the last categories to have this kind of really, really, um, urgent need, uh, but you're still going to see people doing it for, you know, for business reasons. You're going to see companies embracing this tech because they want to be the providers. And so that that's kind of how wave we've seen waves go um, with this kind of, you know, censorship resistant tech previously. Um, so I think that's kind of what you should expect that it's going to be a crypto thing for the next year or two, and then it's going to be about people around the world who who can't publish. Sounds good. There you uh, go. So I, five I, five years minimum. You got you got some time to learn. Six string commando. You got this, buddy. <laughs> uh, I just want to know how long before we have a truly decentralized platform where we can live stream. Because I think D Live is kind of like that, but I don't know that the the process itself is is decentralized. But uh, is there any? Because you know, hosting websites is one thing. Hosting a live stream is a whole different different deal. I think it is not as hard as you would think. Uh, the problem right now is mostly on the user experience, and we are we are really focused on this problem. We think this is absolutely a problem that can get a lot better uh, in the near future. And the tools actually already basically work. It's just that the user experience isn't there. You know, I can't just click two buttons and get it started. So it's like all the stuff. All the, the problem right now is stitching all the pieces together, but right. the pieces exist. So, so I can tell you everything's possible, and now it's just uh, we need to figure out all the user experiences. And just from looking at how it's been over the past couple of years with some of the just basic stuff around blockchain domains and, and websites, the last round seems like it took around 18 months to go from like developer tools to like I can click and buy a domain and launch a website. It may it may take another year or two to get that really easy, but I think it's possible. Like I have been on a video chat before on a decentralized system, and it worked just as well as this. Okay, so it is already possible today, and um, I'm going to try to make it happen as soon as possible. That way, you can have me back, and we can we can talk on a we can do this on a decentralized system. Yeah, so I'm going to go through that motivation. Sounds good. Oh, we will be one of the first to jump on to a nice, solid live stream uh, decentralized system. So that's good to know. Um, okay. So thank you. I don't see any more super important questions. Sorry for those people who think their questions are all, all your questions are super important, but I think that's about all the time we have for today. I want to be respectful of your time, Brad. Um, so Gons, we're going to make sure to drop uh, all sorts of links if you want to learn more about the decentralized web if you want to learn more about unstoppable domains if you want to learn more about uh, the google overlord there's all sorts of resources there at canarycryradio.com make sure to check that out um but uh brad why don't you tell us a little bit you know if people want to learn more or get uh, get in get involved or see what you got going on where can they go i would first of all go to unstoppable and check it out read our you know read our content play around um you can follow us on twitter at unstoppable web you'll see all the latest updates 
And we've also got a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week conversation in Telegram. So you can go to Unstoppable Domains Telegram, and you will find people in there chatting about the decentralized web. Booyah. Very cool. Okay. Gons, any last words before we land this plane, buddy? I think we're good. I tried to put something in the chat, and it's not showing up. So probably oh, a good man. time to start calling <laughs> calling it a stream. Oh, man. It's it's happening. It's happening again. <laughs> so we're going to land this plane before it falls apart in midair here. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And thank you so much, Brad, from Unstoppable, Unstoppable, Unstoppable <laughs> Domains. Uh, Brad Cam. Um, you are the man. We love what you're doing over there. And yes, let us know when you got more updates there um, so we can have you back on. Well, dude, this was a lot of fun. Really appreciate all the, all the deep questions. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Brad Cam from Unstoppable Domains. And you might think that this is, uh, maybe it was a little bit of a light, lighter topic for Canary Cry Radio. There's no aliens. There's no Nephilim. There was no occult uh, influences and how it controls the world. But, you know, with the internet being what it is nowadays, we thought it was really important to have this discussion. And especially, uh, like you said at the top of the show, Gons, a, a timely discussion, given the, given the fact that the internet right now is rife with censorship and uh, not even shadow banning anymore, straight up banning and deleting huge YouTube channels and MailChimp accounts and Patreon accounts, all in the name of protecting the, the weak minds of the public. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just as of this recording as well, uh, and we've been mentioning it on Canary Cry News Talk recently, but we have not seen a whole lot of the, the I don't know, fascist deletions of content. Yeah. Uh, our channels are still up. Uh, we did have a little Patreon thing happen, but, um, you know, we're, we're fairly lucky. Although, if you are a listener of Canary Cry News Talk and you do watch the show on the Face Like the Sun YouTube channel, you may have noticed that it's not streaming on Face Like the Sun because uh, we did get a, a strike. And uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, strangely enough, it was for a video you made years ago. Years ago, and it did, I don't know, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, they told me I violated community guidelines, and so we uh, can't live stream or publish or upload or do anything. Pretty out of control, but what do you expect with a fascist tube? Yes. So remember, if you are listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, um, follow us on multiple different platforms, uh, especially if you want to watch the live broadcast that we do of Canary Cry News Talk Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays between uh, sometime between noon and 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time is when we start. Um you're going to want to follow us on multiple platforms because at this point in history, you never know when we're going to disappear from one of those platforms. You can find us on the Face Like the Sun YouTube channel, Canary Cry Radio YouTube channel, uh, twitch.tv slash Canary Cry Radio, as well as DLive and a few other places. You can just search us out. And uh, again, if you haven't yet listened to the new and improved version of Canary Cry News Talk, you're really going to want to do that. 
that. It is what all the cool kids are doing. Uh, it's got a great community uh, that has come around it. We've got listener producers who are creating content for the show in the form of art and music and jingles. It really has taken on a new, fresh life of its own. So we know that you're a big fan of Canary Cry Radio, and we apologize that it's taken us, uh, you know, we've, we haven't been doing much posting in 2020, but a lot of that is because we have been investing heavily in growing and improving and expanding the scope of our new show, uh, Canary Cry. Well, I guess it's not new, but our newer show, Canary Cry News Talk. Make sure to uh, find it on whatever RSS feed podcatcher you're using. Search Canary Cry News Talk. We do do the live shows, but every live show is then posted on the uh, podcast platforms, just like any other podcast. Um, So if you can't make a live show, don't worry. There's still content for you. You must try the new and improved Canary Cry News Talk. Now, Gons, in in our journey through expanding the scope of Canary Cry News Talk, we've also expanded our value-for-value system. And this is our attempt to disconnect. Now, we've never advertised on the show, um, but we've really really fleshed out our ideas about the value for value system um, and what that means, you know, disconnecting from the megalith of advertising and big data. And, you know, a lot of content producers, they use advertising to uh, fund their uh, shows and, and we don't blame them necessarily for that. But the problem is the advertising industry, especially in podcasting, uh, incentivizes content producers like you and I to think of our audience, our listeners, as commodities, as cattle to be put on a truck and sold to big corporations for our own personal gain. And you know what? That just didn't sit right with us. So we have uh, expanded what it means to participate in a value for value model. And basically what that means is we create value by creating this show and all our other shows. And if you gain any value from it, you have the opportunity to put some value back in. And it's not just charity. What it is is investing in your own media future. You can either let advertising companies decide the value of a piece of media that you listen to, um, or you can take control and decide what the value is. And you can do that by going to uh, patreon.com slash canarycryradio or canarycryradio.com slash support. Canary! CryRadio.com slash support. That's right. So take the opportunity to invest in your own media future. Do not let the uh, the lords of advertising decide what is valuable and what is not valuable to you. And here's the thing. If you help uh, pay for the show, if you make any contribution, whether it's financial or you create some art or jingles or music for us, you are not just donating to a couple of random podcasters. You are 
a producer of a piece of media. And that's that's what we call you. That's what you are. This is the real world, baby. If you help pay for a piece of media to be created, you are a producer. You can put that on your LinkedIn, put it on your resume, give them our email address. That's canarycryradio at gmail.com. And we'll vouch for you. That is a real credit. Um, it's about time that people who help uh, shows like ours keep going, get the credit they deserve. And that's what we're here for. And another way you can represent the Canary Cry universe is by going to canarycrymerchperch.com, where one of our producers, producer Dust, helped put together the merch perch. Actually, he put together the whole thing. We don't have to do anything, Basil. We just uh, hang out. We do our thing. And uh, our producers do their thing. And that's right. It's a symbiotic thing. It's become a real family affair. Yeah. So thank you to producer Dust. Uh, you can go to canarycrymerchbirch.com and pick up uh, t shirts, hoodies. You have an Elon Mask mask. You have a Daddy Fauci mask you know, to really show who's in charge here. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have yeah. uh, the, the Fauci ISO. Science is truth, which is oh, not yeah. a scientific statement. <laughs> and a fun thing about the merch perch is all merch is sold at cost, but you do have an opportunity to uh, tip the webmaster to help pay to keep the merch perch running. You can tip the artist of, uh, the, you know, we have producers who create art for every single episode of Canary Cry News Talk, and uh, some of that's going to be put on merch soon, so you're going to want to get in on that. Some of it is really fantastic. Or you can throw a couple bucks uh, in the way of myself and Gons if you want to... Uh, help us out that way but the fact of the matter is it's a real family affair if you're listening to to this right now you are in the canary cry family and you know what family doesn't try to profit off each other but you know sometimes it's okay to throw each other a couple bucks so we hope you go to canarycrymerchperch.com and thank you to producer dust for putting that together yes definitely check it out uh, you can also go to canarycry.community that is an actual URL, uh, you know, in line with uh, a lot of the internet stuff we talked about on this episode. CanaryCry.community, it's your social media platform that is not Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or what's the other one? Instagram. It's a place where you can disconnect from all those big tech moguls and find the uh, like-minded people in the Canary Cry world. And, you know, there's a lot of praying for each other. There's a lot of uh, people discussing various topics uh, within the Canary Cry context. It's a really good place to be. Uh, you know, you don't have to spend all your days there, but it's if you need a social media experience that's not one of the big tech platforms, then CanaryCry.community is a place to check out. That's right. And there's a lot of great stuff going on there. Not only is there discussions about current events, news, conspiracy theories, all that kind of fun stuff, but there's also fun family oriented stuff. I mean, there's the meme uh, threads, there's joke threads, there's a prayer wall. People are just discussing issues in their life, getting advice, giving advice, uh, all sorts of fun stuff. There was even a game of mafia going for a while. The <laughs> Canary Cry Gamers Guild has gotten together over there. It's a really fun place to uh, get off of the major social networks, disconnect from the algorithms, but still connect uh, with people 
people just like yourself uh, in a place where free thought and free speech is valued. Can you imagine that, Gons? What a world that would be. Yeah, not happening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go, folks. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Canary Cry News Talk. Dang it. I keep saying that. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. And make sure to tune in next time. But until then, think outside the cage.